0: Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trond Arnevenheim, futurist and author. In episode 11 of the podcast, the topic is Disruption Games, How to Thrive on Serial Failure. I read from the introduction to my eponymous book, which was published by Atmosphere Press in May 2020. Introduction. Common wisdom says that success breeds success. Indeed, this is how most VCs pick startups. Businesses select talent and singles search for dates. In contrast, the evidence shows that only repeated failure breeds success. Consider the Olympic Games. It's an epitome of the high-stakes environment. Participants enter through a rigorous set of competitions that provide a field made solely of the best of the best. Often, the athletes compete only a single time, but they train and hone themselves mentally and physically for years behind the scenes. This sort of muscular building, whether it is psychological or physiological, is virtually impossible to replicate outside the context of this competition. When an athlete competes on the Olympic level, even last place is a mark of honor. And, more importantly, those who do not place as medalists more frequently join a continuing community of the ultimate athletes as coaches or trainers or sometimes as participants once again. These sorts of high-level failures accomplish far more than any successes at a lower level may ever achieve. The additional complexity with innovation is that it is a team sport, which makes it a social game as well as a mental or physical game like chess or the Olympics. To describe this very activity, we bring in the notion of a social biosphere which contrasts sharply with today's prevailing understanding of innovation either as simply another business function which needs a leader a team a budget a structure a templated process and a set of procedures or b a mechanistic toolkit so that you as a leader can pick freely from a hammer or a saw whenever you want to and expect them to perform the same every time. Or even, a biological ecosystem that performs like insects do in nature. E.g. they swarm and they have some sort of natural dependency on each other. Rather, I will argue, innovation is a unique combination of a social and physical setup. It is governed by social rules and it often depends on place-based interactions, even in the digital age. Innovation is far from a business function, and treating it as such is disastrous. Innovation is definitely not a mechanistic engineering toolkit, and expecting it to be is what leads most traditional leaders to failure in innovation. Not the fruitful type of reflexive failure we describe in this book, but simply failure. Innovation is also not fruitfully understood with a traditional biological metaphor, because it is a system created by and for humans specifically. What kind of success or failure is your business setting itself up for? Over the next few years, failure will become a necessary growth strategy for any individual, firm, or collective. Are you prepared? Disruption Games introduces corporate executives to groundbreaking strategies and frameworks to switch on growth through examining failure on the highest level and risking vulnerability to achieve high-level results. The book also helps entrepreneurs understand corporate thinking, structure, and priorities so both entrepreneurs and executives can partner and thrive. This book also offers my own insights on innovation through my experience at MIT, one of the world's most notable hubs of innovation. Through this exploration, readers will come to understand the relationship between failure and success in a dramatically different way than current business literature interprets these terms, typically as study successful firms, fail fast, and at best conduct cheap learning experiments. In contrast, disruption games fulfills the need for actionable insight on what is truly driving change and provides conceivable roadmaps on how to become a change maker on the highest level. The deep insight is this: for failure to be instructive, it must have a deep cost in time and energy. You should not seek failure But you should seek risk. Under disruptive conditions, I've seen companies that were near monopolies for decades fall from grace in an instant. Or domain experts become outdated by a single research paper they had not yet read. Even startups can become outright dinosaurs by the perfectly timed product of the next startup. We are all trying to disrupt each other, let's not forget. Whether you work for a Fortune 500 or are still in school, if you don't participate and experiment with this world soon, you will be left behind. Many laissez-faire six-year-olds already are, but some determined 60-year-olds are not. Experience will not protect you. Neither will inexperience. The benefits of disruption come from practiced and cultivated innovation. In this book, the metaphor of training is deployed to describe how you might think of that process. Like any game, disruption follows certain rules. Except that those rules are not disclosed to everyone. You have to discover the rules. The rules might vary depending on who you are. Each domain has its rules. They have emerged quickly. They are unstable. By the time you know a rule, it might get broken. You can excel at the disruption games by getting a feel for the game itself. You can only do that by going native, by going deep, where failure hurts and could cost a lot. Innovation requires a rudimentary th- theory of practice. Loop. Innovation requires a rudimentary theory or practice, not a rigorous one. On the other hand, you can put yourself in high-stake settings with high probability of learning where your chances of innovating are far higher than average. Just be prepared for the fact that exposure may not be gradual since full immersion has real consequences. Chapter 1 is about how not to partner with startups. It describes the tech innovator's mindset and talks about how complex it is to foster innovation in teams and organizations if that's what you are in charge of. Read it to figure out what a startup partnership entails from the startup side and from the corporate side. Chapter 2 outlines the social biosphere of corporate innovation. Which basically means it describes a new way to see innovation portfolios as living things that require attention and care. Innovation is also highly dependent on creating a desirable social setting where it can occur on a regular basis. It is not just about technology. Chapter 3 Looks at innovation labs, the oldest form of innovation structure, and asks whether it is viable in today's business environment. Labs are costly to maintain, they also require critical mass. Chapter 4 discusses innovation scouts, individuals whose charge it is to find innovation and connect it to the corporation in various ways. One of the most exciting jobs in today's workplace, it is also a near-impossible job to execute to perfection. Chapter 5 outlines the various ways of doing corporate venturing, from VC investment to creating a corporate investment unit. The recommendations I make are based on observing and taking part in hundreds of venturing processes across multiple industries, such as life science, finance, information technology, manufacturing, and retail. Chapter six, opines on open innovation, which is a way of outsourcing innovation to external parties. Under which conditions is this a good idea? How is the field evolving? What might the next wave of open innovation look like? Chapter seven is about accelerators, which help startups get to market. These can be implemented in many ways. Should you want to build an accelerator or assess the accelerator you have? I provide a few steps to think through and offer some industry examples. In brief, the ones with a true asset to offer are more effective. Chapter 8 looks at corporate startup partnering, perhaps the most efficient of all innovation tools. Why so efficient? Because partnering does not require a big institutional infrastructure. On the other hand, it is also the most difficult task to succeed with. Why? Because it asks a lot of those who take part in it. Is your organization startup ready? Is your startup corporation ready? Chapter 9 reveals some of MIT's innovation secrets. Regardless of where you are in the world, you have likely heard of MIT. Many universities are so inspired that they name themselves Institutes of Technology. As if the name itself would rub off on them. If you don't have it in you to read this chapter, the high-level insight therein is to make sure to reward overlapping, competing initiatives in order to foster innovation. The point is not so much how MIT's ecosystem evolved but to demonstrate how a culture of technological innovation is embedded in conditions specific to an institution. If you want to see something similar happen in your own context, you need to build on local ingredients and be mindful of the need for critical mass for things to start happening at scale. Chapter 10 is about serial entrepreneurs, whom we should all be so lucky to interact with on a daily basis. There is so much to learn from people whose lives pivot around innovation. The goal is to try to empathize with them, try to understand why they got there, why what they are doing seems to them the most compelling thing they could do with their lives every time. The particular focus here is on serial founders with a strong university connection. Chapter 11 is about why startups fail. It also describes some extraordinary rescue operations and pivots. When things start to fail, the energy can often be channeled to more valuable pursuits and the venture or the people involved can recover. Even if that does not work, Failure offers a lot in terms of learning. To maximize such learning, you need to embrace and fully grasp the situation you were in. If you move on too fast, the learning is lost. Chapter 12 is about my startup experiences. Have they been worth it? What have I learned? Sometimes, failure is just failure. But even then, there is a silver lining in reflecting around it for personal growth. This chapter examines what can be gained from such examples. In the coda, briefly, I reflect on how to play the disruption games. Participating in disruption games entails allowing yourself to learn without guardrails. Be mindful that your actions do not exist in a vacuum. Thrive on serial failure. But make sure you spread the risk. Learn from your surroundings too. You have just listened to episode 11 of the Futurized podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was Disruption Games How to Thrive on Serial Failure. I read from the introduction to my eponymous book, which was published by Atmosphere Press in May 2020. My takeaway is that taking part in disruption games, which I liken to the Olympic games, takes the same kind of training and effort. What that means is that the failures you have along the way can be immensely valuable. However, you cannot fail too fast. For failure to be instructive, it has to have a deep cost in time and energy. You can excel at disruption games by getting a feel for the game. You can only do that by going native going deep, where failure hurts. Full immersion has real consequences. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.